no matter what sport I've worked in, I did in rugby, I, I'm doing it in basketball. It's you're driving towards something and that something is winning a championship. This is going to sound crazy, but it's absolutely true. Did you ever listen to this podcast and quit your job? And not just any job, but a job with Apple? Because as wild as that sounds, today's guest did just that. Alex Hubblebank is an NBA consultant that appears to have lived 99 lives. She really did quit her job at Apple so she could pursue her dream of going back to physical therapy school and working in the NBA. And in this episode of the Physical Prep Podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the principles, value systems, and processes she uses to get amazing results with her athletes. Now, there were tons of great moments in this show, but a few of my favorites were, number one, when Alex describes the two big questions she asks her athletes in the return to play process. Number two, the $20,000 training hour thought experiment. And number three, how to have real adult conversations with athletes to help them buy in and take ownership of their training and rehab. This is an amazing episode with some great back and forth conversation, and I know you're going to enjoy the episode. But before we dive in, please take two seconds out of your day, subscribe to the Physical Prep Podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or now the YouTubes, wherever you consume podcasts. Make sure to subscribe right now so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Now we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome new episode with Alex Hubble Today's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics consider themselves part of the process, not the process. Force plates are in no way, shape, or form new technology, but Hawken has brought them to the 21st century. Hawken Dynamics plates are wireless, which makes them portable and easy to set up and use. You'll have the ability to performance test your athletes in a matter of seconds and give them immediate feedback on their strengths and weaknesses. And last but not least, their software interface is clean, intuitive, and easy on the eye, so both you and your athletes can visualize what's going on and how to improve their performance. Now, the reason I invested in Hawken Dynamics Force Plates was simple. I was tired of feelings and subjective information being the sole driver of my decision-making process. At this point in my career, I want a blend of both subjective assessments and objective-driven metrics to drive my program design. I love the idea of having dual force plates so you can see side-to-side differences and asymmetries, especially in athletes who are in the return-to-play process. I want to be able to collect and track data across the athletic spectrum, from our young kiddos to my elite athletes that are playing in the NBA or MLS. Another driver for me was finding ways to assess performance that aren't reliant on lifting technique. While I would never bring a kid in and test their 1RM squat or deadlift on day one, I have zero issue putting them on force plates to test their power in a vertical jump or their force output in a mid-thigh pull or iso squat. But arguably the biggest driver for me was being able to take all of this technology and making it incredibly easy to use. With options to lease or buy, Coupled with a five-year warranty, I'm confident that Hawken Dynamics Force Plates can take your performance facility to the next level. To learn more, head over to hawkendynamics.com or follow them on Instagram at hawkendynamics. Or for direct sales inquiries, feel free to reach out to Drake Berberay directly at drake at hawkendynamics.com or follow him on Instagram at strength2.speed. Alex, 
Thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it's a little bit surreal <laughs> sitting here and actually recording a <laughs> podcast with you after probably listening to 90% of the ones you've had. I guess professionally, I'm currently a performance PT, strength coach, athletic trainer, working privately with NBA players. I spent some time with the Grizzlies. I spent some time consulting for another team, as well as working on the private side for a player in the off season down in Miami, which was a really unique experience. Yeah. Spent some time in professional rugby before that. I've been all over the place, worked for Apple, which was a crazy experience. And it's been about 10 years in the industry. Personally, I was a pretty serious soccer player turned rugby player turned powerlifter over the past five years. And outside of that, I love to travel, drink a whole lot of coffee and roller skate in my free time. Yeah, I didn't know roller skating was a thing. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That was a, I picked that up in Detroit, and it's been something that has been an adult hobby that sometimes yeah. I, I realize how hard it is to learn a skill as an adult. And, yes. and we're not talking about roller derby because everyone assumes since I look like right. a powerlifter that I do roller derby. We're talking like right. jam skating in the old school rinks and wearing purple roller skates like the four wheels, not the one. Yeah, I love it. Next time, people don't know this because we are, look as though we're in different areas. She's actually in Indianapolis right now. So next time you're in Indianapolis, we need extra time and I'll take you to the roller cave. Oh, that, yes. is, that is like the spot. So my kids love it. One of Perfect. my NBA guys, Ed Sumner, he's actually playing in Lithuania now. He's from Detroit. He loves to skate. So we talk about skating all the time. So anyway, that is awesome. What I'd love to hear next is what got you into the world of just strength training as a whole? What was your indoctrination there? So I was a pretty serious soccer player growing up. And you've heard this story a thousand times. 17-year-old female soccer player, ACL tear, pivotal time, can't play yep. anymore. And it was obviously, it was pretty orienting for me, but I went actually all through college. I ended up playing college rugby, rehabbed from my ACL surgery. It didn't uh, really affect what I did after that from a training standpoint. And there's a little bit of a, an old stereotype in soccer. Don't train, just do more skills and drills. So right. I got all the way to 25 years old before I really picked up a weight at all outside of the rehab space. So I, that was about eight, nine years ago. And I ended up, I was going through my second ACL rehab and it wasn't going the way that I wanted it to go, but it felt like it was because there was a little bit of a disconnect between what was happening at my physical therapist's office and what probably needed to happen for me to get to what I wanted to be doing, which was still playing high level soccer, still playing high level rugby, despite the fact yeah. that I'm 25, no one's going to pay me to play. No one, <laughs> I'm not going to be a yeah. professional at this point, but I still really want to do this at a level yeah. um, that I'm serious about. And I found, I ran into actually Jared Collinson, who was a previous friend of mine and rugby player and Springfield grad who was training out of a Boston sports club. And I was like about probably five months out of surgery. And I just asked him to train me. I was like, I think yeah. this is probably what I need right now. Fast forward him and Dylan Gutile, another Springfield grad, also rugby player opened flight performance. And it was a private strength and conditioning facility out of Newton, Massachusetts. And we had 
there were general population, like 80 year old clients all the way to college athletes, some pro rugby players. And I just fell in love with this place, the community aspect, the training aspect. And it really opened my mind to all the things that I could do for myself that weren't traditional rehab that brought me from where I was to where I needed to go. It was like, I felt Mm. like I was getting let in on a secret that nobody told me about. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. And it's funny too, like how many of those kind of spots, I'd like to think IFAST has a little bit of that or a Cressy where you go to a big powerlifting gym, West side. It's like the culture and the community aspect of it that keeps you coming back. Like you get a little hit of, this is really fun. Like I love getting stronger and building my body, but then the people keep you engaged as you're going through that. Yeah. And I think I'm biased because I ended up working there for four years. I ended up my entire powerlifting career, my soccer career, my rugby career. Most of my friends have come through there. I I felt like we had a really unique situation because we had this individualized programming aspect where I got what I needed, this autonomy of I'm going to do this on my own, but I have a coach that's answering questions, guiding me, watching things. Yes. Not to mention the fact that our oldest client was 80 years old. And then we also had professional rugby players who are in that space sharing a rack. And it was like, this really made me feel like I was coming home to a space where, okay, this is going to go with me for the rest of my life. Maybe it's not going to be within this building, but I see the value of the training process as something that I now, it's a non-negotiable wherever I go. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so last but not least, I want to talk about your career journey and your career arc, because this is... So fascinating to me. We talked about this before the show. It's almost like you've had two whole kind of lives. So I would love to hear about where you started, what got you into the world of physical prep, and then what you're doing now, because that's a really cool journey. Yeah, I think this is simultaneously my favorite story to tell, the one that I get the most excited about, and also probably one that I've told the most. It's funny that you say (laughs) I've had two separate lives. When I was in PT school, uh, all my friends were quite a bit younger than I was. I went to school a little bit later in my life and I'd tell stories. I'd be like, oh, when I was working as a live-in nanny or when I was working at the (laughs) smoothie shop or when I was working as a porter at the Harvard executive education or when I was working at Apple and they're like, Alex, what is this? What are you, a cat? Have you had 99 lives? Are you 50 years old? Yeah. (laughs) They're like- how did you have time to do all of this? And and so yeah. we started to joke that I was going to write this memoir and it was called like 99 by design. And that's this yeah. idea of I've lived 99 lives, but they have all really been by design. I could tell you how working at the smoothie shop contributed to my career in the NBA. I could tell you how working at Apple made me a better healthcare provider. And even at that time, I'll go on a little tangent here. I interviewed to work at Apple when I was 23 years old as like a summer job before I went to PT school. And in my interview, they asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, be a physical therapist in the NBA. (laughs) And they were like, I'm sorry, you're interviewing to work at a tech company. You know that, right? I'm like, oh, no, I know. And at no point in the four years that I worked there, did I ever stray from that as this is what I want to do. It was just a matter of, I felt like I was learning all of these skills and, and, seeing all of these things that really influenced what I would be able to do when I got there. So to answer your question, I went to undergrad for athletic training. I 
graduated, worked for Apple, ended up for four years. Like I said, I tried to quit a couple of times, but they kept pulling me back with things of we could give you this and this and not just financial, like opportunity to learn, opportunity to be doing things that I knew would pay dividends 10 times out of 10 later on in my career. So I stayed. Yeah jumped off from there. My intention was to go to PT school, come intern at IFAST, have this like whole plan. And I ended up working at a healthcare tech company for six months, went from there to work as a strength coach, ended up deferring PT school a year because I felt like what I was doing at Flight Performance, the place I was talking about in Newton, it was like, I have to get this experience. I have to stay here because this is too valuable for me to let go of it in only, you know, a couple months of of doing it. It was I felt like I had more to do there. Ended up going yeah. to PT school, was very vocal about what I wanted and jumped from there into straight into the NBA, but during the PT school time and and I was in school during COVID. So my educational experience looked a little bit different. I had opportunities to travel internationally with a rugby team, work professionally in the rugby space and see how a, a sport that doesn't have a ton of resources leverages a single person to be able to have a bunch of different hats. And I had the luxury of doing that inside of a building that I was really comfortable in flight performance yeah. was our space. So I served as a strength coach, a, an athletic trainer and kind of the sports medicine liaison. So <laughs> that's a, a <laughs> short 10 years <laughs> kind of brought me into where I am now, which is straddling having been on the NBA team side, working privately, going back into the team space as a consultant, and now back in the private space for a couple different players. If you're enjoying today's podcast and not already subscribed to the Robertson Training Systems newsletter, what are you waiting for? When you sign up, you'll get immediate access to materials that will help you write better programs, motivate people outside of the gym, and improve how your clients move and feel. Plus, the RTS newsletter is the only place where I announce up-and-coming events like virtual summits, live seminars, and my program design mentorship. And last but not least, I hate spam as much as you do, so I will only email you when I've got something valuable to deliver, something that will make you a better athlete, trainer, or coach. So if you're not already subscribed, head over to robertsontrainingsystems.com and register for our newsletter right now, today. Now, that's enough for me. Let's get back into this week's episode. So before the show, you and I were going back and forth, and I don't know how long this text thread got, but it got pretty pretty stout, just coming up with ideas and brainstorming the show. And so I did my best to try and corral this and streamline it. But I think the starting point for most of these shows, for people that aren't familiar with you or your thought process, and I love this part as well, is I would just love to start by talking about like your foundational principles, because I know you're very principle-driven in your approach and the way you look at things. So could we just start there? What are your foundational a principle, your foundational principles to training, rehab, athletic development? Yeah. And I think <laughs> you hit the nail on the head because that's definitely something that as I've gotten a little bit older, I have felt myself getting more into taking piece of information and saying, how does this iterate with my process? Where does this fit for me right now? Versus thinking there's one right answer to do this, or let yes. me <clears throat> approach this problem and think that I have the right answer. 
And I think some of that comes from the fact that I have not only worked in a variety of different industries, but also I am in the business of human beings and mm-hmm. human beings are not inherently different. I, I know that might be an oversimplification, but when we're in the business of people, it's what are my principles when I approach a person? And that's something that goes all the way back to my time at Apple. I, I had a boss that asked me, how do you teach someone to do what you do? Doing what I do is approaching a person and meeting them where they are. And it, that question has come back for me because I think that whatever industry that I work in or whatever role I'm serving, my principles come from how do I approach human beings within the role that I am in? And then how do I layer? What is my responsibility to this person? What is their expectation of me within what I'm doing? So I can orient how I have these conversations and how we go about our process together. So as far as foundational principles in my current role or the roles that I've probably served over the past two years, I look at it. Yeah. Big picture. Yep. So how do I reverse engineer from a problem? So what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? Like I said, if I'm a strength coach before a person, then my responsibility is performance. What is the problem I'm trying to solve with this person? Let me have science drive practice. So if I'm approaching that problem, what is the science? And and that, that could be all the way down to the research. That can be exercise physiology. That could be what are the rules, quote unquote, and that could, if I'm chasing hypertrophy, what are the rules within what we know about how to chase hypertrophy? Okay. Are those rules appropriate here and work back from, is that the problem we're trying to solve? If it's not, why am I using hypertrophy parameters? After that, what is the best possible outcome I could hope to achieve? Do I have unreasonable expectations? Is this problem solvable? Where can I go from here? Is this a person that they can be an NBA all-star? Is that reasonable? Do I, am I the right person to answer that question? Do I need to pull resources to ask that question? Because I'm not the overall expert on basketball. Yeah. Fast forward again. What are the expectations of the person in front of me? Where did they come from on their journey within physical preparation, within physical therapy, within the coaching space? Do they have an expectation that I can fix something for them or that I'm a guide on the road? What do they want out of their career? Is it to play 82 games? Is it to have a healthy career? Is it to play 50 games? Is it to get a bigger contract? What is the expectation and how can I orient myself around that expectation? And I'm saying this from the NBA player standpoint because that's front of mind for me, but I've done this at various points in my life. A general population client, a a rugby athlete. I've worked in Paralympic soccer briefly. Okay. What do you want out of this? And I owe it to you to ask that question because go back to, then I can reverse engineer from the problem. You're in front of me for a reason. What is that reason? Yeah. And and I think the, the North star is in solving some of those problems is Occam's razor. Are you familiar with that? Yes. It's been a minute, but please. Uh, I'll explain very simply. When faced with competing explanations for the same phenomenon, the simplest is likely the correct one. I find myself, especially when I went from rugby or private sector strength and conditioning or general clinic treatment 
to professional sport in the NBA, I find myself thinking about Occam's razor often because there is a lot of noise that goes with every decision that you make. There are a lot of people involved. There's a lot of other information involved and I try and anchor myself to what is the decision I'm going to make outside of this context? What is the problem I'm trying to solve? What are the expectations of the person in front of me? What is the science that's telling me I should go one direction or another? What is the best possible outcome I could hope to achieve? And how can I be the least wrong when I do it? Wow. And it's, (laughs) it is because I really, when we were talking about this, I was thinking about, shoot, what are my foundational principles? And especially because I've served in a variety of roles over the past two years and even beyond that, I can't unequivocally tell you this recipe for, okay, this is what athletic development looks like. Because every case that I have right now is one of one. And every person I have has such different contexts around how I came to be in front of them that I really had to step back and reiterate for myself. And this was a fun process for me to say, what is true to what I believe right now that I could tell you and stand on in a way that it won't matter who I'm working with. I'm still going to feel really confident in those things. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, right? Like you're basing everything you do on principles, not on whatever strategies or tactics or fads. Like these are like overarching themes and the way you go about these things may change with time. They probably will as you acquire more information, experience, knowledge, but you know, ultimately those overarching principles will hold true, hopefully for a long time. So talk to me about how you take this, right? You've got these principles. How do you take them and make them pragmatic? Mm Because it's one thing for somebody to come to you and say, oh yeah, I want to be an NBA all-star. And then you look at them and you're like, I don't know if that's the case. Or I want to play 82 games and you've already played 12 seasons and the most you've played is 50 or 60. Talk to me about how you marry your principles and tether them to pragmatism and making sure that you're really trying to help these people get the best possible outcome. Yeah. When I was younger and I was looking at where I wanted my career to go, I told you, I mean, we're talking 2014. I was like, I'm going to go work in the NBA. (laughs) And (laughs) I didn't play basketball after eighth grade. So whenever (laughs) I said that, I played a lot of sports growing up. Basketball was not one that I stuck with. And so when I said that, people are like, why the NBA of all sports? And I found myself really drawn to not only the small roster size was a big one for me, but the resources available in the NBA, but also this innovative, progressive lens on health and performance And also the fact that there is so much data available, probably an inundation of data, both from a statistics standpoint, these sometimes I'm watching a game and I'm like, what is this fringe stat that they just came up with? (laughs) Uh, And and it's fascinating, but that's the, that's the availability. And that's the, this interest that kind of drove me that direction because I always wanted something that was going to check me and check my process. The mistake I made that was very eye opening to me was that I believed that because you had every resource available, that you would be able to make decisions that went exactly how you planned them right, or close yeah. to how you planned them. 
Like, how could you not? You have everything available to you. I'm coming from a sport like rugby where I'm in Dubai and I'm using pieces of cardboard that we found from a box next to the pitch to splint an ankle fracture because we don't have enough resources to bring splints on the road with us. So I'm thinking, oh, you have everything that you need in the NBA. You should be able to give this person this plan and then you execute the plan and you have all the technology and you have all the time. It's going to be perfect. (laughs) And I was so wrong. And And it sort of started to expand my mind around, okay, what is the best possible outcome I could hope to achieve? What are my priorities within this space? And what are my principles within that? But I think it took me all the way to working on the private side. And again, we're talking players that make multi-million dollars a year who have access to every single thing that they could possibly need, but we're still trying to piece it together because we're in five cities over a week. It's the off season and we're traveling out of the country because that's totally what players should do during the off season is get away, give themselves a break. But, you know, we're trying to piece it together. What's realistic. What do you need? And so in making it pragmatic, I am going back to what is the best plan? What is a good plan? What is an okay plan? And what do I need to make those things be successful? And I think some of that was a learning experience where I went from working for a team. So I'm representing that team to working directly for a player. So some of our conversations look a little bit different where I get to say, okay, I really want you to do this. But now I understand by way of the fact that I'm seeing a little bit behind the curtain of what your life looks like. I can't ask you to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. That would be an unreasonable request. And I feel really silly and I look really silly when I ask you to do that. And I feel like I am mothering you in a way that probably you don't need another mom. So (laughs) I can say to you, hey, the best way to approach this based on what I know from my clinical and coaching expertise is to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to lean into you. I'm not going to tell you that you should do all of these things and that's the only way to do it. I'm saying... This is plan A. You have an option. You got plan B, you got plan C. And when I go through those things, I say, okay, this is what you told me. We can use the NBA all-star example. You want to be an NBA all-star. You want to play 82 games. Plan A would be my best possible option for you. But if you don't think that's realistic, okay, let's go with plan B and let's sift through what the priorities are okay, you don't want to drive 30 minutes to use this isokinetic device to test you in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the summer? I understand that. Okay, then let's use a Tindic and we can do that wherever we are. It's not the best. It's not right. what I'm recommending, but we can do it. And I think yeah. that that pragmatism, that expansion of my brain around this is the way that we have to do this and this is the only way to do it and allowing myself to have plan A through F contingency plan, which is funny because I have that for my own life, but I think it was a little bit more rigid in how I applied plans to the people that I worked with before because I was a little bit younger in my coaching career and I'm, I'm sure you can align with some of this that When you learn a new thing, it's like you want to do it to a T and you you have a hard time stepping outside and saying, what needs to say? What is the minimum effective dose? What is the minimum effective prescription around this overall plan 
that I can go with that's going to get us where we need to go. Yeah. I really like that. I really like that. And I wrote down a couple notes. Like, number one, I think people assume, again, the NBA, the NFL, these huge, like, leagues. Yes, resources everywhere, right? There's tons of resources. But people, I think, also assume improperly that just because they have all the resources that they're equally valuable, right? As well as I know, there's a hierarchy to this. And so there are certain things that are way more valuable. So just because you have access to a hundred different resources doesn't mean that they all weigh equally in your decision-making process. So I think that's a big thing to note. Second, I love the idea of you having these conversations with these guys. And trust me, we've all been there, right? No, no, this is exactly how you have to do it. Like 25 <laughs> year old Mike Robertson, this is, no, this is how, how you have to do it. 45 year old Mike Robertson, look, here's all these different options. What's best for you? Right. Like what are you, what can you stick to? What can you adhere to? How do those conversations go down? Is it really, I'm sure it's athlete dependent. I know it's athlete dependent, but like, how does that go down for you? Oh, hey, here are all the options. Cause that's an adult conversation to have. Yep. And let me tell you, <laughs> I can remember my first one. And I, I remember thinking to myself, am I really about to go toe to toe? with this hundred million dollar athlete. This is, <laughs> am I really about to be like, no, I don't think that's the right thing that you should do. Hey, take it or leave it. And as I've I had more of those conversations, I think I've gotten more comfortable with it. But again, I will, I, I think I will go back to this often is there's a reason I stayed at Apple for four years. And one of them, we did a lot of training in how to deliver and receive feedback. And one of the biggest okay. things I took out of that, both constructive and positive and how to do it in a way that really moved the needle for people. And one of the things that will stand in my mind on every hard conversation that I ever have to have is around the fact that delivering constructive feedback means that you are invested in the growth and development of another person. And so like every time I have to have conversations around plan ABC or hard conversations around, you're not doing what I asked of you, or you're not doing the things that we discussed are the right plan for you, or you are, but maybe you're not doing it with the best intent or you're not putting on, you're mailing it in. I think about that. And to go back to some of my principles with regard to where I go, it's, I owe that to you. Because that's yeah. who I am. That's within my value system. I owe you the opportunity to make your own choices and to say, yeah, I do think that I need to do that. Or do I need to do a better job explaining it to you? Because that's often part of the conversation is, am I missing the boat? Did I not give you enough information to feel like this is valuable to you? Because I think it's really valuable. So either you're telling me that you don't trust what I'm saying, you don't like yeah. what I'm saying, or you don't think that you need to do that. And any one of those things is still on me to at least pay yeah. attention to and hear. So I had uh, actually Anthony Iannarino, who yeah. I know has been on the pod. He's oh, a yeah. real mentor and friend to me. And, and I remember probably about uh, eight or nine months ago, he said to me that a mentor of his said that the your success is it can be directly tied to the number of hard conversations you're willing to have. Mm. And I think that it like has that. paid. Yeah. It has paid off in my world, both in my day-to-day -day interactions with the athletes that I get to work with and also just in my professional career overall. But 
that's a big one. I, it's almost like I hype myself up and be like, okay, Alex, you have two things. One, you owe it to this person because you are, you care and you're passionate and you want them to have the career that they want. And number two, you are going to be more successful if you are willing to go to battle in this conversation than if you just hold on to it. Because at some point it's going to be on you if it doesn't go the way that they want it to go, especially when I'm being paid directly from a player. Absolutely. And there's just a level of your own self-confidence. If you shy away from that conversation, ultimately you end up regretting it later versus like when you step into it and you have it, even if it is hard in general, both, most of the time, both parties feel better in the end. And even if you don't get the outcome you want, you have the self-satisfaction of knowing, Hey, look, I put everything into this. And if they choose to go a different route, that's on them, right? They're an adult. They make those decisions, but I know in my heart of hearts, I did everything that I could for that person. And I think absolutely. And the aspect of it that I think makes this work for me so rewarding is that it helps them know I'm on your side. I'm with you in this, that your success is my success because you told me that this is what you wanted and I'm going to help you get there with all the challenges and the obstacles and sometimes oftentimes it's not going to be the way that we thought it was going to go because you're coming to me from a different place than maybe I'm coming from, but you chose me to be on this road with you and I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So before the show, we were talking about this idea of rate limiters and I love this. I'm a huge (laughs) believer in this as well in all aspects of life. So a two part question here, why is identifying the rate limiter important for you? And second, this is probably a little bit more technical, tactical, but how are you going about doing that? This is something that I certainly picked up with some great mentorship when I was at the Grizzlies, because I I think their process is airtight. And I had a good opportunity to work with some really smart people, many of which I know that pretty well. So I had a mentor when I was there and he said something to me that again has really come back over and over again when I'm faced with problems in my career now. And he said, if a player, their hour is worth $20,000 and you select an intervention, are you willing to stand on the fact that intervention is worth the $20,000 that that player gets paid? for that hour. Wow. And the sentiment is not (laughs) lost on me that obviously it can't necessarily be a one-to-one and it's not always going to be that you have to stand on it. It's the concept that you're thinking in a way that you're choosing things that are going to move the needle for this person and do the thing that your responsibility is to do, which is to help keep players available. I mean, that is from an organizational standpoint and in, in my personal life, I think it's become a little bit more mucky. I would say when I work directly for players because their priorities are not always the priorities of the organization and that is appropriate and necessary, but player availability is my responsibility. So if I'm choosing things that are oriented around that North star, then I know I can with confidence say that at at minimum, my process was in the right direction, even if the outcome doesn't always go the way that I want it to be. But as far as identifying the rate limiter, I think that's the why is because I know what my mission is, but it also allows me to have a repeatable process. 
if I'm anchoring myself to what is the thing that is keeping this person from being available or keeping this person from playing at their highest level or doing the thing that they're here to do, then I can cloud out all of the noise of all the other things that might be going on, which in an NBA player during the season, there's a lot of things. I would be hard pressed to believe that most NBA players are carrying something at some point in the season. It's just a matter Mm -hmm. of, is that something going to be a thing that they miss games for? Or is that going to be something that we're quietly dealing with in the background, but there's something that's a little bit more pressing? Yeah. So it, it is the identification of those things and then how I do it. It would be, taking a full inventory. And obviously, again, going back to the resource allocation, I have the luxury of seeing the players that I work with almost every single day, if not every single day. So you become very well oriented to their body, the things that pop up and you see a lot of this stuff. And that was for me, again, wanting to go into the NBA specifically, I wanted to be challenged and I wanted to be stretched to be able to recognize nuance and not say, okay, this is good enough, but be like, okay, this is something that I see every single day and it's changed this much, but now it's changed above a threshold that I have to intervene on it. And what is that threshold? And how do I look at that threshold? So you have rate limiters that are really obvious within the space. So something like an ACL return to play, limb symmetry, both from a a strength standpoint, a battery of testing standpoint, there are very evident KPIs that are available in the literature and practical. And those can be rate limiters. But then you have individual KPIs. For example, one of the players that I worked with, we identified together that his hip internal rotation was something worth monitoring over time. When he played high minutes, he lost almost 100% of his hip internal rotation pre to post game. We could restore it together. It was asymptomatic, but it was something worth paying attention to because it gave us a proxy of how, quote unquote, stressful is this experience for you? And to, to which your system has to constrain the range that you have available as a, as an adaptation to the demand. And Mm -hmm. we had a conversation and he agreed with me. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's something that is pinchy sometimes, but we can get it back. And if I work on it, it goes away. And if I work on these other things, then I have it all the time. And we watched over a duration of about five months, his hip internal rotation incrementally remain when he started to play higher minutes with some of the things that we were paying attention to. So it allowed us together to have a KPI that is, uh, it doesn't matter outside of the context of him within his situation because there wasn't anything pathological going on. It was just a, hey, this is something I recognize when I take overall inventory of your body. Is this something that feels meaningful to you and worth chasing or at least worth paying attention to when it gets beyond a point? Because we're talking, it went from within normal range to literally zero. So yeah, that, and from a clinical perspective, I'm looking at that and saying, okay, it's not a problem today, but maybe it's the problem that we can just quietly pay attention to because I have the luxury of seeing you. And at some yes. point, maybe it becomes more important or maybe it doesn't. So I think the value of those things are to have the ones that are really obvious because when you have 
pathology present, it's a lot easier to have a process. But then when you don't, you get to play a little bit and you get to play within the space of having N of one and saying, what is the thing that is keeping you from doing what you want to be able to do right now? Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh. That's such a good answer. And I'm just thinking about on a general level, there's so many things, like you said, in a return to play for an ACL, there's specific criteria, certain benchmarks that we want to see, right? And those are global, right? There's There'll be some nuance there. But I love this idea of specific KPIs to certain athletes. And I haven't ever described it like that, but I've absolutely thought of that. And I think if you're listening and you've worked with athletes, there's certain people like, oh, man, when their ankle gets locked up, things really fall apart. Or when they start to lose their pelvic position, I'm just throwing things out there. Yeah, but no, for sure. I, I love that. I love that idea of, yeah, here's the global things that we're worried about, but here are specific things to you that I want to keep tabs on and focus on over the long haul because I think they're impactful. And this goes all the way back to when I worked my first personal training job. When you, and I'm sure that you'll understand this, it's like, when you start charging a fee for a service and you're asking someone to pay you and I'm in the position now where my entire salary is paid by an individual, I'm asking this person or these people to pay me directly. My salary is not paid by a third party organization. Same thing like in a clinical setting, in a personal training setting, when you are asking someone to pay you directly, for better or for worse, you need to demonstrate value, but you also need to make yeah. it salient for them. So I, and again, I went from a, an airtight process and something that really taught me how to deliver a process at the Grizzlies into having to generate some of that on my own and come up with, okay, what are our KPIs that we're agreeing upon? Now, mind you, hip internal rotation may or may not be one of them. And it within his whole system, it definitely made sense. But there were other things like sometimes you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed and it's like when you can rotate a little bit more to the left and a little bit less to the right, then that's your KPI for yourself. I will ask people often, I'll ask them like, okay, what's your, what's like your test of how that you're ready to go? Or I'll ask you, what percentage do you feel? And I let them tell me you have your yes. own KPIs because if I don't know what those things are and I'm not hitting those for you, I'm not doing my job, even right. though I think that's a crazy thing to be yeah. testing. I'm trying to think of one that I have for people, but it, I, I've seen tons of weird stuff that people do. Oh, I get up and I like whip my neck around and that's how I know if I'm, I'm <laughs> good for the day. I'm like, I okay, I'd prefer if you didn't do that, but sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's, but Yeah, but... Okay, there's something in that too, right? If you watch people enough, especially people that are coming off injuries, they have little tests, retests they're doing all day. All right? day. Like the person with knee pain, they're constantly like checking their knee flexion, right? They're pulling their knee to their butt or somebody that has back pain. They're like moving around or they're like touching their toes. You just pick up on these little like idiosyncrasies or nuances. You're like, oh, they're testing right now. And so this is fun too, because one of the things that I find is that when, cause I've done a decent amount of return to play over the years. I think if you work in sports, you're constantly return to play in some way, Always. shape or form, but you start to have these discussions of, I like this too, the percentage, well, what percentage are you today? And you'll have somebody that's, oh, they're like, oh, I'm 85, 90, 85, 90 to me is you could go scrimmage, right? Or you could play a couple minutes in a game, right? But then the stuff that we're doing in the gym, like we're doing like band resisted stuff. 
right? Like I've got the brakes on you. Everything's slow and methodical. So that leads to a great discussion too. Like you say you're 8590. I would not say that. So like, where's the disconnect there? And I think some of and, those discussions are really important. Yeah. And I, so th this is front of mind because I recently had this conversation. I will often use a calendar. So if someone's mm. totally shut down, they're out. I'm going to ask yeah. them two questions, two really big ones when I'm getting integrated into the process of them. And one big one is obviously the percentage question. What percent do you think that you're at today? What percent do you think you need to be at to play? And then my mm. next question, I pull out a calendar and I say, when pick a date on the calendar that you think that you're going to be good to go. And I had mm. a conversation with an athlete the other day and he said to me, I'm 35% today. And I was like, oh, oh wow. Okay. okay. He's a ways off. Okay. Yeah. And then I asked, when do you think that you're going to be ready to play? And he pointed to the date and that date was three days from the day that we were there. And I wow. was like, oh, okay. And we had, we, yeah. And, and so it's, but that information is invaluable because now I understand yeah. what is the expectation of this person from where they're coming from? Where are they at right now? Where am I meeting them? And now it helps me understand what questions do I need to ask or what expectations do I need to set? But I also need to be really careful with this conversation because I need to be seen as a partner, not as an imposition. Yeah. And if they believe that the three days from now is the time, I need to help them understand by way of KPIs or exposing rate limiters or identifying what the actual problem is or orienting myself on the same side of the table as them to get us to a place where now our idea of when we're ready to play are a little bit better matched. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Okay. So something that I know we both agree on and I love having these conversations is one of those not difficult conversations, but like really trying to help and athlete take ownership of their body. And I know this is important to you, but why is it important that when you're having discussions with athletes, you give them all of the information, all of the things that you know, and you try and relay to them. And then how does that from there help drive the decision-making process? And how does it help bring them into the fold? I think this is probably the thing that I am the most passionate about, and it's become something that has come back for me over a lifespan. My So when I was uh, super young, my dad became disabled. So he's been disabled now for 23 years due to what may or may not have been a back surgery that didn't go well, a couple of other health things. So I have spent a lot of time around the medical space from a very young age, in and out of hospitals, seeing kind of the trajectory of what my dad has gone through. And I always said, I feel the most comfortable in a gym and in a hospital. <laughs> it's yeah. really bizarre. For better or worse, um, right? Yeah, for better or worse. And I, I saw a lot of the ways that People will feel wronged by the healthcare system or wronged by a particular clinician or a person or that the outcome didn't match what their expectations were. I've seen it by way of players having poor experiences with the medical providers inside of a team, outside of a team. I've seen... I. I have a vivid memory of being at a, a funeral and listening to a friend of mine talk about her brother and how the reason he passed away was medical negligence and 
poor surgery mm-hmm. and some really like some horror stories that you hear and, yeah. and everyone has one, whether it's personal or whether it's someone they know, they have heard these stories and the way that our healthcare system has trended a little bit in the past 10 years or so is that we're moving into this concierge space a little bit more yeah. and there's a yeah. lot more medical and healthcare autonomy. But what comes with that is that people need to have a better understanding to be able to make better decisions. So historically, and this is real, like we're getting out there into the public health realm for a second. I promise I'll bring (laughs) it back to where we are now, but it it matters. And and it's really framed for me how I do things that historically you would go to the doctor, the doctor would tell you something and you would do the thing that they said to you. Whether that yes. be from a primary care perspective, from a an orthopedic perspective, you go to the doctor, they say you need surgery, you have the surgery, it goes well or it doesn't go well, but you did the thing that the doctor told you. And then you have yes. an expectation based on what the outcome was. The reality is, <laughs> and hmm. this is again, something that came from my time at Apple, the idea of don't shop with someone else's wallet. Don't make decisions for people that are a decision that is deeply personal and it is for them. In my mind, I am a, I have some clinical expertise. I have some experience. I have some personal experience, but my responsibility as a coach, as a professional, as a provider is to be able to guide you in making better decisions for yourself. Yeah. It is not my choice. It is my responsibility. But if I do, if I give you all the options and you make the decision or we make the decision together, not only do I protect my own interests, but I protect your interests as well. I don't know what you have in your head. I don't know where you're at, but I know that I want to be a partner to you and I want to help you make good decisions. But if I make a decision for you, I am setting myself up for failure and I might be setting you up for failure too when the expectation of the outcome isn't necessarily what happened. And especially in a space like professional sports where there is a lot of noise and there are a lot of voices and there are a lot of things coming at you. You are, as a player, you are asked so much in a day not just from a healthcare basketball perspective, I didn't realize until I worked on the private side, just how much is asked of them on a daily basis. I, (laughs) I see players every day and I made a joke this summer that you text an NBA player, you can expect a response in about three to seven business days. (laughs) Like I see you every day. (laughs) I know. I know. Or we'll confirm a time. We pick a time to go and I say, Hey, we still good for this time. No answer. I show up and I say, Hey, you didn't answer me. I knew you'd be there. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that to say, it's, I I don't want to be someone else that's tugging on them, but I want to be someone else that's showing them. I don't need anything from you other than you and I to be on the same page. I can do my job of what you've asked of me, but I need a lot of information from you in the beginning so that when we get into some of these conversations, I know where you're coming from and I can give you options. I don't want to make the decision for you because I'm not you. And that can be really, I think volatile. Yeah. I like that. And I think like players appreciate it. They, they like the transparency. They like options. They, they don't like to be told what to do or what not to do. And I, 
I understand it. Yeah. And there, there's, again, there's uh, an element of being a grown up here, right? Controlling your own destiny. Nobody likes to be told what to do, especially somebody that makes millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, sure. right? They earned that freedom. So when you talk to them like an adult and they know you're on their side, immediately the relationship is different. And it's way more of a collaborative agreement or a collaborative relationship versus, oh, he just tells me what to do or she just and tells me what to do. You made a good point that I think is worth addressing is, and this goes back to some of the ways that I've expanded my own brain and my own process around certain things. And I will often go on social media and be like, oh, I hate what I'm looking at. This is so silly. You see some... <laughs> like crazy exercises and you're standing on a BOSU ball with three dumbbells doing five exercises at one time. And, and I'm like, ah, oh, I <laughs> right. hate this. Now I have worked with players as young as 19, 20 years old, like first couple years in the league. And now as old as 35, 36, 37, who've been in the league 15 years and you're, 35 years old, you don't miss games throughout your entire career. Who am I to come in here and be like, no, I don't think you should do that. I think you should do all these things. You should stop using the BOSU ball. You should stop only doing Pilates and yoga and you should actually like lift real weights. Yeah. No, you don't miss games. I, I mean, it, I don't, that's not, I don't have a leg to stand on. And so that's been an interesting dialogue versus you're a younger player or a middle player. And, and maybe I look at your whole career and you're playing half the games that you need to play to be available for a consistent amount. And you've had all these things. And then when I look at what the rate limiter is, it aligns with a very Occam's razor explanation that the lowest hanging fruit is that you have never trained consistently. Maybe let's <laughs> lean into right. that. Let's lean into that. And, that. and not for any fault of your own. It's just, you played one, maybe two years of college, you came out, you didn't really know how to train. You've, you didn't find someone that you felt really aligned with from a training perspective. And then the season started and then you got injured. I don't, I don't know any number of yeah. reasons, but that's a different conversation than you've played 15 years in the league and I'm coming in there telling you you should do something different because I think that the science tells us something different. That's not on me to say either. And, and that's yeah. definitely, that's something that you have to I think choose is I like my job. I love what I do and I love the players that I get to work with, but it is a challenge often because it is me expanding. I think that we should do it this way, but I haven't earned the right to say that with you right now. I can yeah. tell you what I think, but maybe you don't want my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Heard. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've got a great anecdote to this. You talk about the, the 19 year old kid. So a couple of years ago, it was COVID. I had a kid, Tyrell Terry, mm. string bean kid, and yep. goes to Stanford. Underweight. He knew he was underweight. He thought he was going to redshirt. Great thing about Stanford at the time, there happened to be a guy there named Corey Schlesinger. Oh, yep. Only downside was Corey Schlesinger, that same year, moved to the Suns. So they didn't have a strength coach, right? They, they didn't have a dedicated strength coach for basketball. This kid needed the weight room. Right. So he's, yeah, it was just whoever was available. Sometimes it was the golf guy. Sometimes it was whoever. So he didn't have a consistent program. Then they hire somebody. Now he's in season. So he didn't have time to train. So it's like the first time he really trained was what would have been his sophomore summer. It ended up being COVID with me pre-draft. But yeah, it's amazing what you can do if you just have somebody for six months 
with no other influence other than, hey, let's get in the gym and get stronger, right? We saw huge mm-hmm. changes in his body, but you're absolutely right. Like sometimes this 19-year-old kid, not sometimes, all the time, there's a huge difference between a 19-year-old kid that's never trained and wants to get into the NBA and a 35-year-old dude that's been there 14, 15, 16 years. A lot of miles on that body. 100%. And <laughs> I will never forget, it was the beginning of this past summer, and I'm looking at the one of the players that I'm working with, and I said, hey, I don't care about basketball until August. And, he's, and I was like, yeah, I just, I don't <laughs> give a shit. He was like, we, I was like, we, we're worried about the weight room. We're worried about your body. We're worried about all that. I don't care. I don't care. It's, yeah. it, I mean, I can't care. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. Let me break it down for you. And, and, yeah. but it really, it was like, I, and this is the conversations that we were talking about earlier. I'm going to stand on it. And I'll tell you, this is why I believe that you're going to do whatever you want. And it was a little bit of a give and take. And some days he was like, I'm pulling the Trump card. I care about basketball today. And I'm like, heard whatever, but yeah. <laughs> it was, I owe this to you to tell, I'm not going to lie to you, or I'm not going to pretend that it's okay because I'm afraid you're going to fire me or I'm afraid that you're not going to want to work with me. I'm going to tell you what I believe today. You're going to make your own decisions and I support you in that, but know that this is my plan A, but it it really is. It it is different. It is a lot of, I, I enjoy those conversations because I think I'm progressing as a person and I'm giving people, I'm giving players an opportunity to make their own decisions. But when they start to come back to me and ask, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? I know then now I'm having an impact. And historically, like I, I came from a space prior where, I, I building trust with people and building buy-in was my felt like my special skill, but mm, you come from yeah. a place where people who like the general population usually, and sort of this more amateur athlete space, they're going to trust you because it's not like they have 500 people lining up at their door wanting to treat them. They came yeah. to you and they paid you or they paid the clinic and, or they paid the gym and that they're either doing it with you or they're doing it on their own or they're not doing it. Maybe where in this space, and again, I had a mentor early on because I got really frustrated sometimes where I was like, oh, I don't feel like they're not listening to me. I don't feel like I'm getting to them. (laughs) What am I doing wrong? I need to force it. And it's like getting more patient with this relationship could take six months before this person trusts you one time. Yeah. And that's been especially an incredible with amount of growth. It takes yeah, time. I mean, it takes and time. this has been an incredible amount of growth for me because I think that's something that I needed was to learn a level of patience to just continue to do great work and the results will show themselves. And at some point you're going to get a phone call and the player's going to say, hey, what do you think about this? Do you think I should do X or Y? Or how do you think we should approach it? Those oh. moments have been incredible. That's cool. Okay. I'm excited about this one because I don't hear too many people talk about this. We were chatting about this concept of layering performance and health. And a lot of times you hear the sound bites on the internet and they're mutually exclusive, right? Oh, it's a high performance or health. And I don't know about you. I believe in this idea of, Hey, I think there is intersect, right? Like you take anything to the farthest degree, it becomes destructive. But I do think there's a a layer of intersect and and overlap here. So talk to me about your idea of layering performance and health and how you go about doing that. Yeah. There's a reason I pursued a career in both. Yeah. I, (laughs) yeah. And, and right. But it's, it's, 
I, I think you could still see them as really independent, especially because, and this is a soapbox I've stood on a couple times where I had a really hard time going back to PT school after being in the performance space for a couple of years because I had gone, gotten a clinical degree in athletic training, and I, I felt like my athletic training education was pretty exceptional. I went to a top tier program. I just, the rigor of the academics and the preparation and what I felt like I came out with, having some really unbelievable clinical experiences, just having been in Boston. <laughs> so I had yeah. opportunities to work in Harvard football, three different, I went to the bean pot with three different hockey teams. Like I got some really exceptional experiences. So I came out of that. And then I go into the performance space a little bit later and I'm, it's checking all my boxes. Like I'm getting clients that are coming to me with pain. I'm helping guide them through the process from where they are all the way back. I'm sometimes partnering with physical therapists, but I'm reverse engineering from what are the demands of what you need to do back to where are you at right now? How is that any different than what you do from a physical therapy perspective, other than the fact that by way of the domains, sometimes health yeah. can have some hands-on components and other aspects that seem a little bit more sterile, but these things are not independent of each other. It's just a matter of, again, going and, and saying, what is the rate limiter? What is the problem we're trying to solve? Is this a traditional, is this a volume, load, intensity, manipulatable, man I don't know if that's a word. That's, that's, variables that's that need enough. to be I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> variables that need to be manipulated. Is that the problem? Because that sounds like a training error. Or is it a true pathology? Because yeah. it even with both, in order to address a pathology to the best of your ability, you need to understand performance. And performance doesn't necessarily just mean NBA basketball. Performance can mean yeah gardening, <laughs> being able to kneel yeah, for a absolutely. period of time. I know those are really dichotomous examples, but that is yeah. the reality. And so performance is not health. As we know, personally, I've competed in powerlifting for five years. I've had seven knee surgeries. I currently am a candidate for a total knee replacement. And I was warned 10 times out of 10, you shouldn't compete. You shouldn't compete. You shouldn't compete. I am a 32 year old woman that is very competitive and I love the athletic endeavor that is the training process. And this is something that I'm going to do. I'm not just going to put my head through a wall. I am going to manipulate my training <laughs> around the things that support a healthy enough knee joint, but yep. I am still going to compete. And that's a choice that I've made yep. versus health would be, yeah, okay. Train enough, but don't, necessarily go beyond whatever that is. But I don't know about you, getting up and doing leg extensions doesn't really get me into the gym <laughs> get every the day. Flowing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, and the same thing. I've been to a ton of doctors that said, okay, you should bike and swim. I said, okay, should, do okay. you feel like the idea of biking and swimming is what gets you going in the morning? It's, I hear you, <laughs> but to bring it back, is I, I don't think that these things are mutually exclusive. And I think it goes back to the idea of in PT education, you are taught how to address impairments in like the sports orthopedic PT realm, how to address impairments and bring someone back to a level of function. That's like PT 101. Yep. But the performance aspect is okay. When you get to 
this resting level, then what happens? Because there still is going to be a gap between what is acceptable enough and what they need to be able to do the thing that they want to be able to do. And if you don't understand what the demands of that thing over there are, whatever it is, how can you with any amount of confidence say that you can get this person back to prior level yeah. of function? I had, I had a good example of, I was a friend of a friend. She's a, a surgical resident and she's had this shoulder pain for this weird shoulder thing going on for years. And she's now performing a lot of surgeries and it's becoming increasingly worse. And she went to PT, all of the physical therapy checkboxes. She's a young, healthy 28 year old woman and she can do almost right. everything she needs to do, but something's not quite right. This is the use case. The same way that this is the use case of why in in the NBA or in professional sport or in even the private sector around this like amateur athlete person, you need to understand both aspects of it. Because if you don't, you are leaving something on the table where you're either having to, you're, you're not necessarily even handing off, you're sort of just saying goodbye and hoping that they get what they need on the other side, or yeah. you're trying to manage it, but you're sort of flying blind. Yeah. Okay. I got one more and then we'll start to wrap this up. What are the biggest differences? Cause you've worked in the team side, you've worked in the individual side. I've done that as well in different sports. So it's a little bit different, but I would love to hear what it's like going from the team side and they have to come to you're on one person's side and you're like their liaison and the focal point of their training and rehab and all that. So talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I have had a lot of conversations about this because there are pros and cons to both for sure. Yes. Being on the team side, it is, it's a little bit like a drug. I mean, it's so fun. It's every, everything I loved about being in a team my whole life. There's the day to day aspect. You're part of something greater than yourself. You're working around other people. You're getting the excitement of what it feels like to really try and build something, especially no matter what sport I've worked in, I did in rugby, I, I doing it in basketball. It's, you're driving towards something and that something is winning a championship and you get to see yeah. the stuff that happens behind the curtain on that level. Yeah. That is just so exciting. But what comes with that is again, a lot of noise and a lot of other aspects that become a part of your day to day. And a lot of things that you really like can't necessarily plan for or think about where the aspect that I think makes the private side so sweet on some level is that it is as long as the player that I work for and myself are on the same page, we are in a great place. And I really get to, he, he or she knows that I unequivocally support them. They pay my salary and they are very much, they know that I have their best interests in mind all the time. And that's not to say that on the team side, you don't, but there is something to be said when someone is choosing you to be on that journey with them. And I think that the, something that I had brought up earlier is I'm getting to see behind the curtain of all the things that are asked of these people on a day-to-day basis. And I get to recognize for myself and it helps me iterate my own process around if I'm going to ask someone to do something how realistic or how silly do I sound when I ask them to do it where they can, they give me lip service. They're like, yeah, sure, Alex, I'll I'll roll that. I'll do that. I'll do that reset that you gave me. And I'm a hundred percent sure they're not going to do it. So now I've gotten accustomed to being able to have some of those conversations and be like, all right, 
you just, are you gassing me up right now? Are you being real? Are you going to do this when you get <laughs> home? Or are you just saying you're going to do it? And you're definitely not going to do it. And sometimes they yeah. will be like, yeah, like I'm for sure not going to do that. I'm like, okay, great. Then we need to do X, Y, or Z because now you've made me move to plan C versus plan yes. A. But some of those conversations can happen a little bit more organically when they are the ones that are footing the bill for that, just inherently, as we always do, yeah. it's like when you're paying for something, you are more willing to invest in it or commit to it the same way that it is being committed to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, big question time. You've probably heard a couple hundred of these, but I want to hear your answer. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Alex Hubblebank one piece of advice, what would it be? You know, I got to take a quick stop on this one that this <laughs> is literally the, this is the question, the answer to this question from, I forget who exactly it was, but I remember, I think it was at the time, one of the Seattle Sounders strength coaches back in, we're talking okay. like 2018. Yeah. It is the thing that made me email you and tell you that I quit my job at Apple to go to PT school <laughs> because of this question. And the answer to that question at that time was that I would have made myself more uncomfortable earlier in my life. And mm. I, I would say that at that time when I was 26, that was absolutely, it was like, it hit me that day. And I literally walked into a final interview to go work at Apple corporate and quit to go to PT wow. school and really pursue this dream. And, and I remember emailing you like shortly after that yeah. and being like, Hey, I got to tell you this thing. And, and it's crazy to come full circle and, and be here on this yeah. podcast with you now. So obviously I've thought about this question for years yes. and I, I think it's evolved a lot, but right now today, one being be where your feet are and stop trying to control everything. Because yep. if there is anything that I have learned from my career over this 10 year period, it's going to work out. Yeah. And you don't need to control it for it to work out. Yeah. I like that. I'm pretty sure Ryan Horn has used that at some point because it stands out because it is, it's so incredibly relevant. And especially in this day and age, it's so easy to not be where your feet are. It's right. 100%. You're in your phone. You're thinking about the thing you want to do tomorrow or the person you want to connect with. It's so hard to just be in the moment and just, <laughs> Hey, like we're just having a great conversation here. Like, yeah. It's, but it's one of those things where if you can really master it, like such an important tool and something that will serve you the rest of your life. And for that matter, it's only going to get harder, right? There's only going to be more distractions, <laughs> yes. technology, the social media, AI that hasn't even been invented yet. But yeah, I think that's fantastic. Oh, I mean, advice. shoot, I, sometimes I don't even know where my feet are because I'm on a plane. <laughs> Just based on where you're at, five <laughs> cities in eight days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So last but not least, lightning round. Four mm -hmm. fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you'd like. You already talked about this a little bit, but talk to me about why you took such a deep dive into powerlifting, especially as a former soccer player. Yeah. So I alluded to this a little bit, had seven knee surgeries, really battled with some poor rehab early on in my life. And, and I felt like I left something on the athletic table. And I knew just from a, a career perspective that me continuing to try and play soccer or play rugby would really accelerate my timeline to needing a knee replacement and, and some parts of my yeah. life changing. But I also knew that doing something at a really high level um, was very important to my career because I think there's a lot of intersection between what I do for work and who I am as a person. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I believe very strongly in you need to walk the walk. 
if I'm going to ask yeah. someone to do something, I need to be able to stand on it. I need to be able to back it up. And so I realized that I was like, okay at powerlifting when I started, but the, I fell deeply in love with the process of I competed at a weight class that meant I had to cut weight. So my nutrition, my sleep, my stress level, my training status, my hydration, my mental space, and being able to put all of those things together on one day and deliver an outcome that was incredibly measurable. I was like obsessed <laughs> and it did. It, the culmination of it was this September, I competed a national competition on around my fifth year anniversary of competing and I pulled 500, which was a, awesome. huge, a huge endeavor number, for me. Yeah. I trained for a whole year for it and it probably was the single biggest athletic achievement I have ever had. Despite having greater awards and other things, it was like, I've never worked so hard for something that lasted less than 20 seconds. Yeah. And if you don't follow Alex on the IGs, just leading up to that, people will have no idea. Because it's one thing to just sit at your home gym and train <laughs> the routine. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the yeah. gym. And you were in different gyms across the country training <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night. So for you to pull that off, like super impressed. That. Literally That's 120 awesome. of them in the past year and a half. Yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. I love it. Okay. Number two. Why is it important to you to be a straight shooter? Yeah, I, I think this has been a theme of our entire conversation. I think it aligns with my value system of I want, when I start to work with someone, it's, I need you to know I am passionate, but I am I'm deeply transparent, but I am on your side. But, and I expect you to do the same with me. And I think it, it sets the stage for people to feel almost disarmed by the fact that I'm willing to tell you when I've made a mistake. I'm willing to give you options that often don't include me. I'm willing yeah. to be a participant and not be the dictator in some of the conversations. And I think that is very, almost like, it's a little bit disorienting for people because yeah. they're maybe not necessarily used to that. But especially in the world of the social medias and the truism and the pseudoscience. And again, in the pro sports, like where everyone wants a piece of someone. Uh, and I say yes. that carefully in that it's not with negative connotation, but it's like they get met with that all the time. Absolutely. I, I will often think if someone wakes up in the morning and they think they need me, I haven't done my job. Yeah. That's I want them it's to such a refreshing way to look at things. It's such yeah, a refreshing yeah, I, way to look at things. And that's like a, that goes back to some of the foundational principles of I'm trying to get better every day. And sometimes I'm not the right solution for someone, but that's just a part of the journey. And it's, I want people to want to work with me because I bring resources to the table that aren't just me and that I will always be real with them and that they're, they can see a, an ally in me, not because they think that I have this magic skill that can fix them because when it can't, that's on me. And I don't yeah. ever want them to think that. And so I really try and be as straight as I can with some of those conversations because I think it, it gives me freedom too. Absolutely. Number three, best and worst part of You definitely, we already talked about one, 120 gyms in the past year is especially when lot. I was trying to compete in powerlifting and also trying to be on the road like that was yeah, I don't know the silliest thing I've ever done. I, after I pulled that 500, I literally looked at the guy that was handling me and I was like, 
I could do anything. Like, <laughs> if I could do, I was like, if I could do that, I was like, yeah, I, that's holy, awesome. I'm like, yeah. So definitely a lot of that, a lot of waking up in a hotel and being like, where am I right now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can only <laughs> I, imagine. I'm, yeah. And you don't know where you're at. You don't know what day it is. You know what time it is. I told you earlier, sometimes you're going into hotels and you're like, how far have I fallen that I am judging this hotel for not having a snack or having the <laughs> right thing that I like? It's, it's craziness. <laughs> but yes. Um, the best part, I, I'm like traveling was a big part of how I, when I thought about what I wanted my career to look like, I was like, I want to travel. I want to meet really good people. I want to be the dumbest person in the room all the time. I constantly want to be learning from people that are way smarter than myself. And so being able to be a physical therapist and actually have all of those things has been uh, unbelievable. I mean, that's, and, and I get to see cities I would never travel to Indianapolis, yeah. maybe. Sad. <laughs> cities sad. I might never end up in. Oh, um, man, but, that's bad. But Indies has some great coffee and some great food. So, as a great people. We might um, just have to do a whole show on the, the beautiful beautifulness that's not a word the beauty of indianapolis i could tell you all the best coffee spots mm -hmm, all the mm -hmm, best food mm -hmm, spots mm -hmm. roller derby <laughs> not roller derby roller cave i know you don't do roller derby but roller cave come on man you just you got to be a, a student okay, I need to the, embrace it. the indianapolis game there you go sometime well, people, so sometime you'll people, come back <laughs> people ask me all the time oh you've lived in a lot of cities i've lived in 14 cities now and wow they're like oh what's your unexpected favorite and i say detroit and people are like, okay. oh, everyone hates yeah. Detroit. I would have never known what it would feel like to be in a city like Detroit. And I would have thought that the narrative that Detroit's this like horrible, dangerous city was the reality. And it is just not. So plug for yeah. Detroit. Yeah, there you go. Okay, last but not least, what's next for Alex Hubblebank? What are you working mm -hmm. on? Excited about anything? Yeah, I think I'm going to take the advice that I had given to myself a little bit earlier. Okay. So most of 2023 was really oriented around that powerlifting me and a lot of the life changes that I was going through from a career and just in my personal life. So I think for 2024, as really settling into being where my feet are, slowing down a little bit, enjoying the ride and and having an impact on as many people, both professionally and personally as I possibly can. Uh, Cause I think I, it's been 10 years of me driving toward achieving this outcome of being within the NBA space. Yeah, I'm here you're there, man. I'm here at a, at a rate I expected. I didn't expect. So yeah. now it's really being great at the job and letting myself it. enjoy the aspects of it. So I love it. Dude, Alex, this has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can my listeners find out more about you? The Probably the best place would be Instagram. I am fairly active on Instagram. Right now, you're not going to find too much educational content, but <laughs> I'll get back to that probably sometime in the near future. A lot of shoes, a lot of training, and a lot of coffee. <laughs> but I love it. my Instagram is A-F-H-O-G-Z. So it's A-F-H-O-G-Z. Somebody misspelled my name. Actually, it was Jared Collinson misspelled my name like 10 years ago on my Jared. program. And he thought my name was Hugglebank. So it's just, he <laughs> kept calling me Hoogs. So my Instagram Hoogs. has been that since then. Uh, and I can uh, share my email with you in the show notes if anyone wants to reach me directly too. But Instagram is definitely okay. the spot. 
I love it. Wait, how long are you in town for? When do you leave? Oh, do you leave tonight? I leave to, yep. 10 o'clock flight. Oh, we head out to Denver. Oh, man. I was going to say, next time you're in Indy, it's downtown. You got to go to Quills. You got Quills it. Coffee. I'm Quills telling Coffee. Quills Coffee. It's the Perfect. best. It's the best. Maybe pregame tonight. You never know. Oh, no. Uh, I'm definitely Alex. a pregame coffee person, so I'm here for okay, it. Okay. They, there you go. Quills. Alex, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was amazing. I really appreciate it. Like I said, surreal experience. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's episode with Alex Hubblebank. Really hope you enjoyed it. I mean, such a cool story, right? I literally didn't believe it the first time she told me that story. But man, it's just very cool to know her story, know her background, all the unique experiences she's had, and now to see her thriving, you know, working in the NBA, now working as a performance consultant. It's just very, very cool, very inspiring, and I hope you took a thing or two away from it because there are some great moments in that show. I love talking about the $20,000 training hour. Uh, I love talking about the return to play process. I love just hearing about how she's having these real conversations with her athletes to get the most out of them and help them to not only buy into the process, but to really take ownership of the process and of their training. So if you enjoyed the show, you know what to do. Do one of two things. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, do it right now. Lots of the little podcast guys are gone. So go to one of the big dogs. Go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Spotify. Go to the YouTubes because basically all of the shows are on there now as well. Subscribe to the show so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Number two, if you're already subscribed, appreciate it. Go one step further. Give me a rating. Give me a review. Wherever you're consuming those shows, go there right now. Hopefully five stars. I'd appreciate that. But give me an honest review. Let me know what you think of the show and what you would like to see in the future. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.